there's anything we know, it's that this guy knows how to hit. Harwood. Um, so I've done a little bit of digging around and I've discovered. Ricky Grove. Fog comes in on little cat feet. <laughs> Phil Rice. This is the best film that I've seen all year and maybe ever. Damien Valentine. Use the machinima, Luke. Welcome to week two of And Now for Something Completely Machinima.com. I'm Ricky Grove, here to introduce a new film that Phil chose. Thanks for joining us. Phil Rice, Tracy Harwood, Damian Valentine are here to talk with me today. Now, Phil's pick is a very interesting one because it's a, it's a trilogy of films that was sort of stopped in the middle because I think he could have done more. Um that came out back during the heyday of uh, Machinima uh, by a guy named Todd Stallcamp. Um, and I remember when they first came out, it created a stir because it's shot in Sims. And it was one of the first example of Sims Machinima that was could be serious, dark, and even brutal. The idea of brutality in The Sims is just beyond comprehension but that's what people were doing in the heyday of machinima is they were taking things and turning them upside down i'm really happy um to that you picked this phil uh, upscaled the three videos to make them uh, better quality but here why don't you introduce the film to us phil yeah so this was this was this was at you know one of the kind of peaks of uh you know, a lot of great content that was starting to emerge from Machinima, uh, generally speaking. And and The Sims was really, The Sims 2 was the version of the game then. And it was really kind of uh, making a mark. And so I caught this, this film. I don't, I, I can't remember how I learned of its release. Um, but I, I caught the original version of this film, the, the, the first chapter of this called The Fixer. Um, I, th I think Todd was, he was still using a uh, filmmaker label of Burnt Coffee Productions. And uh, at other times it was TF Stalkamp instead of Todd. But I, I watched this film and was just mesmerized. Um, I think what, what most caught my attention other than that you know that kind of strange juxtaposition of this brutal uh you know assassin story essentially uh, over the landscape of the sims which just wasn't being thought of in that way <laughs> generally that caught my attention but but what really caught my attention was the writing uh the writing and the delivery by todd himself of the the uh, narrator, a character named Ernest Rent, and it was—I I just was was stunned. Uh, the, the style of the narration and the writing underneath that, uh, 
it it kind of strummed the same chord as like maybe uh i don't know james salas uh the author of drive which was later made into a movie um no country for old men uh, uh, uh cormac mccarthy to a degree it had that that same level of dark to it this willingness to uh to let its lead character be not even really an anti-hero like there was nothing really here this was hmm. this was a bad dude an an not completely amoral as as you'll learn later in the story uh but definitely sure. has a different definitely has a different set of values than than what is traditionally embraced you know um the very very recent david fincher movie the killer oh yeah if you haven't seen it the vibe you get off of that character that he's just not playing by the same moral rules that hold society together. That's Ernest Rent to a degree. Uh, but Ernest Rent has, has a sense of humor. Uh, he has a wry wit. Uh, he has a way of saying things that is, is not, not the normal way of saying things. You know, there's a poetry to his way of describing things that might otherwise be banal. So, uh, yeah, just intriguing. Uh, you know, in the opening, uh, in the in the second act of this first chapter, uh, we we see the naked backside of this character, and and it's like, this is the Sims, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Just, and, and the thing is, is he, Todd didn't make it about that, about being shocking or whatever, but it was just kind of an early way in the series to just set the tone that, hey, I'm going to make the film that I want to, period. Uh, I'm not going to abide by what The Sims says is proper or whatever. It's rather remarkable and noteworthy, by the way, that Todd ended up going to work uh, for EA and specifically on The Sims. Um, and what's interesting about that, and actually, uh, Tracy will tell us a little bit more, uh, later this episode, uh, but it'll be interesting to maybe ask Todd about this. Cause I've, I've never been a hundred percent clear on whether I have to feel like that the filmmaking in these was responsible for helping get him the attention. I think it was, but the content is not something that the Sims people would have wanted to put out there with the Sims label. <laughs> so there must have been kind of a strange dynamic there where... Yeah, yeah, yeah. We like what you're doing, but, you know... Um, no more bare asses, yeah. Right, right. So I, I I have to think, in addition to the fact that we've we've seen from everybody that went from from kind of a freelancer, mission of a maker like, like, like Todd was, who go on to work in the gaming industry... Uh, one of the things that was inevitably the case with every single one of them was they stopped making amateur machinima altogether. Some of that is just the effect of when when making this stuff becomes your your career, it's what you're spending most of your day doing anyway. And probably the last thing you want to do is come home and and do more of that. Right. But yeah. but in the case of the Fixer series in particular, I have to also think he wouldn't have been able to do that and not risk 
upsetting his employer and and maybe rightfully so you know i mean they've they've got a right to want to market their game in the way that they want to and i get it there may also have been an issue where the content any content they create while being an employee is owned by the company oh yeah that too that's a great point yeah yeah that is a copyright thing uh work for hire is yeah. is uh, the the employer owns it? Yeah, uh, some of my 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 thoughts and theories on that, of course, are informed by my own experience uh, making a piece of uh, rather popular Sims Two content. That when it came time to, you know, use that in a commercial environment, so to speak, you know, get it on TV, for example, uh, the no that we received was pretty clearly because of the irreverence of some of the content uh in the film and you know this this one takes it even further i mean i I don't i guess i depicted murders in mine too didn't i but this is a little bit (laughs) bit different so now how i got involved i ended up becoming uh uh and and ricky as well we we ended up becoming involved with the series as it went on like in the actual production and how that came about was uh i reached out to Todd when I saw the first episode and basically just said, uh, you know, first of all, I love the film. It's amazing. And I hope you're going to make more of these, um, you know, just sincere praise, but also kind of expressed to him my, my concern or my caution because the original version of the film, uh, had, uh, recognizable copyrighted music. Uh, the opening scene was actually the song Sway by Dean Martin, which is wonderful, and it fit the scene wonderfully, and it's a great song. Um, but my concern was, uh, you're going to be limited. Th- this is this is to me. This was clearly potential festival material. Uh, but if you've got that copyrighted song in there, it's going to be it's it's a non-starter and so there was a little bit of interaction with this and stuff and he's like well what do you suggest i do i was like well i'll i'd be glad to rescore this for you um now not actually writing the music but you know saying we could we could find you know magnitude their whole catalog right now is creative commons we could find stuff that's appropriate and make it work for this and he was kind of like i don't know man i love the way that song I, I, i there was a particular mood that i wanted and that song captures it and he 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 wasn't he wasn't gung ho about it. Um, I think he would would say so too. But I said, well, let me give it a try. And so I did, and I rescored it using selections from all Creative Commons selections from Magnitude. And he ended up really liking it. Um, I don't think he liked it as much as the original, because you know, th- there was something that that song really I think was yeah, part yeah. of the formation of the whole idea for him. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. wonderful. But we ended up doing it that way and now, the funny thing is, I don't, I don't know that he ever ended up submitting it to uh, any festivals. He did produce a second chapter, um, which he selected his own music for that. And then the third chapter, he let me do be his kind of music supervisor again. And I even composed a very short piece of incidental music for a scene that we couldn't find something else for. Uh, the scene where Ernest is getting beat up. It's kind of a Nine Inch Nails sounding industrial weird little thing. And he had me do all the sound on um, 
I don't remember if I did sound on the first one or not, but I definitely did all the sound on the third one. And Ricky was was uh, a major voice contributor to that. One of my favorite characters that I've ever heard Ricky hmm. do. Um, so yeah, it's it's. I feel because of that, I feel a little, you know, a little weird putting this up there because I don't really like to to use this show as a vehicle to to toot my own work or you know to call attention to my own work. But this would have been great without me involved. Uh, I do think that I helped elevate it a bit. But the thing that's great about this is the writing and the character that that Todd created, the way that he executes the narration. I would give my left arm to be able to go back in time and send Todd a really good microphone because that's the only thing it was lacking. He didn't have one. Um, so the sound quality of his narration wasn't what he would want it to be, but right. the, the performance of it was just so perfect. And uh, I just, this is some of my favorite machinima. Like this is, this is like, if I wasn't so kind of focused on creating comedy, this is the kind of stuff I would want to produce. Like it's, it's just, it's smart. Uh, it's daring. Um, very entertaining, uh, finds a way to be funny, even though it is so brutal and cold. Uh, but there are moments that you, you can't help but chuckle and they're deliberate. They're not, you know, we're not laughing at him. We're laughing with him. Um, it's just wonderful, wonderfully done. And, uh, it is, it's, it's a, a heartbreak similar to like, like a breakup. The fact that he was not able to continue making this. I, I completely understand why. I don't think that his decision not to continue it was at all unreasonable. But this story was so good. And I don't know how much more of it there was to tell. Maybe not a whole lot more. Maybe one more chapter could have wrapped this up. And maybe someday he'll either do it or he'll let me. Uh, there you go. Oh, God. <laughs> Supervising I would producer. I would do it. Todd Skullcap. He would have to return to do voice again. But anyway, I love this series. Uh, and yeah, when we were restoring all the Machiniplex content, I couldn't not upscale and, and uh, you know, preserve this going forward, too, because it's one that it's it's a series that deserves to be remembered. Um, it's very memorable. Uh, if you've seen it, you know. Um, so I probably don't need to ask you guys what you think, but I'd love to hear what your comments are. Shall I go first? Cause I've got a little bit of backstory as well. I'll share Sure. that might, that might sort of, you, you might, it might stimulate some memories for you. Perhaps I tell you the first thing that caught me was the titles of these fixer episode one, fat men run episode two guns, Gandhi and getting some <laughs> and Chapter three, different to the episodes, one digit off. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant um, titles. Um, obviously, you know, the, the first thing I noticed, quite quite apart from, from Todd's name on it, was that, Phil, you'd worked on all three. And, Ricky, you were in the last as the Greek kingpin, Casper Rory. <laughs> what a great name. Yeah. Um, and uh, the first episode of this was actually released Originally, uh, I believe, in around March 2006. 
Okay, so this has a, a 50s film noir style um, to it from my point of view. Um, and it's, but, but it's mixed really. Um, and I think it's mixed with a Guy Ritchie pastiche. Uh, yeah. And it's also narrated in a kind of Brad Pittish style, mon- you know, monotonic sort of um, voice style, which I thought was a, was another really kind of interesting aspect to it. Um, it was seemingly inspired by Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels uh, and obviously made in Sims 2. Um, and there are scenes in it um, with, with, you know, shots of, of kind of bloody bodies um, but you don't see any violence. And, and I think really that's, you know, the, the, the selection of Sims to show, to, to do that and to, and to show that and to portray the humour of that was really quite inspired. Um, the yeah. humour itself is really dry and draws heavily on, I think, Richie, but probably also Tarantino. Um, it's violent. The themes are definitely adult. There's crime prostitution, murder, revenge, killings, and all that sort of stuff in it. Um, and it's evidently focused on this um, gunman for hire, this guy who goes by the name of Ernest Rent, which is an absolutely beautiful, dry, humorous kind of name. And you'll see why when you go through the, uh, the each of the three episodes. Um, of those three epi- episodes, I think probably the second one was the most rounded when I was watching it. They don't they don't seem to make a lot of sense as standalone films. So you really need to be prepared to watch all three. Um, yeah, but they're very short. They are very short, but but I think you need to watch them as as a as a complete thing. The first one basically sets the scene. The second one kind of expands the plot and the characters, and the third one is is more kind of classically acted out and closes out of the fewer uh, of a few of those kind of character arcs really um the approach is a little different in the third one i think which 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 is is that it's 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 primarily voice acted throughout whereas the other two are narrated and and I, when i was watching these i wasn't sure if episode 3 was indeed where it was intended um to end and my guess was probably not um and Basically, I then did a little digging around and I can tell you that actually there was intended to be another episode, a fourth episode. But that was never made. And I will tell you why from what I've dug out um, in, a, in a little while. Um, I thought overall it was a fairly complex plot, actually. It's quite it's quite dark and quite, quite complex. Um, and it's complex because there are a lot of characters. And in places, it's kind of a little hard to follow them all and 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 to follow how they all interrelate because they do seem to interrelate um but actually i think that is also part of its charm um it's the it's the kind of the richness of the plot that that makes it stand out along with i think the sound design um the editing yes. and the music selection all of those stood yes. out amazingly to me um but the other thing that made it stand out for me was the that you know all the various cultural and artifact references that are kind of littered throughout it, which really add great depth to the story. And I'll give you some examples. The telephoto lens, which gave a sense of who the central character actually is. Um, The rain representing London. Uh, The CD (laughs) representing some kind of deep information-based goings-on. 
the mm. sound of the car engine, which is definitely a kind of super sports car. Um, and, you know, that's definitely the sort of car that a, a, a sociopath would, would, would drive. Uh, and for that matter, I suppose, how else would a sociopath sound if it wasn't monotonic? Um, so, you know, those were things that really, you know, they, they just added that kind of, the, you know, the layers to it were really very interesting. I thought the sex in reference to this kind of morally bankrupt person and, and criminality, the, you know, the, the newspaper clippings giving hints of what's going on and, of course, the use of the guns, although you don't ever really see them being used in a in a massively violent way. I mean, all of that was just brilliantly done. Um, I thought there were a couple of cliffhangers. Um, and one I'll mention, uh, I wasn't fully sure I got it, but there was a baby scan shot, for example, um, that, that obviously perhaps would have closed out in the final episode, which probably added yet another layer to this, this character, had it have gone that far. I think the animation itself looks quite dated at this point, even though I think you've done an absolutely sterling job restoring it, Phil. Yes. yes. Um, I do think what it has is a very distinctive style, um, which irrespective of the quality of the animation actually comes through really strongly. It's probably the most, um, it's probably the, the most recent film that I've seen with this kind of, um, well, sorry, I'll say that again. I think the most recent film that I've seen with this kind of style is actually the Sharon Tate story. You know, the what's it? What was it called? The, the um, Once Upon a Time. The Tarantino in one. Yes, yeah. that's the one. Yeah, Once Upon a Time. Once Upon that a Time. That has got home. very similar sort of style. I can see to that. It. Um, obviously, this isn't exactly the same, but I think there's a lineage there, uh, and it's quite amazing to think that it was pulled off in Sims. I was also super interested to see some of the early machinima community working on this alongside both of you, of course. And one of the names that jumped out, out at me was Trace Sanderson, um, otherwise known as Lainey Voom, whose work, if you remember, we mostly recognised um, with that uh, film Push, Push, made in Second Life, I think. Um, and she was the airport announcer in the third part of I this. I forgot about that. That's yeah. right. Uh, and then some of the sets uh, in the game that others had um, contributed were also being used. So I saw Britannica Dreams mentioned, so that um, Michelle being best known for making the Snow Witch. And also Ken Thane was mentioned, and he was otherwise known as 3D filmmaker at the time. Uh, and he was another one that went to EA Games during that sort of uh, that, that period of time. Um, I also noticed that this series had been picked up by festivals. Um and it was picked up in the 2006 community festival, the Machinima uh, Academy um, festival that, that uh, you guys were running. Uh, it was also picked up in Germany with the Bitfilm Festival that year. And it also featured on Independent Film Channel's Media Lab site. And that was set up in 2005 to recognise and celebrate the work of independent filmmakers, such as those who were creating Machinima at the time. And it featured on there, I think, in about the August. That's cool. In fact, it won the best series Mackie. Um, and it was in competition at the time to the Ill Clan's Trash Talk, to Chris Burke's This Spartan Life, to Rooster Teeth's Red versus Blue, and also Hughes' Goodness. Blood Spell series. It won that year, 2006. 
And I don't know if you guys remember that, but you should. Um, yeah, we were there. You yeah. were there. We were there we with were Todd. We were all there, actually. Yeah. We were all there. Yeah. He got, he got misty-eyed. I'll bet he did. Happened. I'll bet he, he did. did. It was a great moment. I, I, I can absolutely imagine that. But let me share with you my little bit of uh, digging around about, about Todd, because he's clearly got some, some directing chops. Obviously, he first found Sims whilst he was still in school. A lot of folks did. Um, and from what I understand, he became really fascinated in how people loved creating stories with it. And the Fixer series is one of the things he made just reflecting on how powerful it could be to do that, to tell great stories. Um, there was indeed an episode for um, Slated, and it was called, what well, was going to be called Barking Irons. Hmm. But it was just never released simply because he was struggling to find the time to make the content alongside the day job. Now, there was also going to be a Christmas special that year, 2006, <laughs> but that also never got made. And and quite frankly, he he laments this uh, you know, this, uh, you know, not being able to make these on his blog in December that year. And even though he'd gotten really excited with the Mackie Award, which kind of given this great boost to try and, you know, push him to finish it, he just never really got around uh, around doing it. Two months after that, um, which was about a year after the episode one was released, he'd started working at EA Games, which is about February 2007. And he started working as a video specialist, um, which he also announced to the Machinima uh, community at the time. Um, and then eventually he moved on to post-production and then creative direction. And he's still there. He's now the group creative director at EA Games, responsible for The Sims. Um, way back in 2007, when he just started working for EA, he recorded a little bit to camera for EA about his passion for Machinima. And I'll share a link on the on the blog post so that you can see what he says about that. Okay. Um, and he made a few other machinimas, um, I think probably for EA Games, where he's basically promoting the game and the and the various kind of expansion packs. Just before he started working there, though, the reason that fourth episode never actually got made was because he'd been commissioned, along with Trace Sanderson, to work on a broadcast production for a UK-based news programme. And I managed to find a link to that, too. Or at least the first part of it. I'll, I'll see if I can dig around and find the second part of it. It's bound to be on YouTube somewhere. Um, and apparently, as I understand it, it went on to win some awards, including uh, a Media Innovation Award in 2007. Although I actually can't find, uh, I can't find anything out about that to verify whether or not that's actually true. So, Todd, over to you on that. I'm sure you'll be able to tell us. Um, at the time, he attributed his move to EA. Um, primarily to Machinima and to the community. And, and much like a number of others at, at the time, including Ken and Paul Marino, who, who was um, behind AMAS, the Academy of Machinima Arts and Sciences, the, 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 you know, the, the head of the team that ran the, the Machinima Film Festival. He basically said that um, his success was all due to Phil, your mention, on the Overcast podcast, Mm. Um, a recommendation by 3D filmmaker, that's Ken, um, uh, uh, producing an ad for Sims 2 being featured on the IFC's Media Lab site, the Mackie and the UK TV show, all of which put him on the path to where he ended up. So there you go. Todd Storkamp, Machinima Class of 2006. I think this is an absolutely fantastic story. Um, I was, you know, really, really Really enjoyed sort of researching this one. Um, and as I as I said to you before we we switched on, I managed to make 
contact with Ted uh, with Todd um, as I was uh, writing this up, um, and I'm really looking forward to uh, having a chance to uh, have a catch up and a, a, and an interview and you guys um, working on that as well. So nice. yeah, that's all I've got to say about this one. You um, mentioned he used this, one of the reasons he wanted to use the Sims too was because he wanted to show how powerful the tool was. I was thinking that, that must be something like that because you'd think a game like Grand Theft Auto would be more ideally suited for this kind of story. Um, so obviously there's lots of mods involved with the Sims, you know, to get the gun and, and the stuff like that in. And I always enjoy watching machinima made with a game where they tell a story or do something that the game's not designed for. And this is a really good example of that. Um, because obviously that you don't have guns and stuff like that in The Sims. I do believe in one of the later games they do like a, a crime career choice. I don't know too much about it, but I was wondering if that was inspired by these films. Obviously, it doesn't get quite as brutal as what's shown here. It'd be more um, for more of the the comedy side of things. But I did have a little bit of a wonder was that the inspiration? Um, but yeah, one and, other uh, uh, one thing that I'll add to that, Damien, that the. The reason that he didn't choose GTA was GTA 4 didn't get released until two years after this film was made. Yeah, that's that right. would explain it. Yeah, I don't follow the GTA, GTA 3. Just person. GTA 3 didn't have really didn't have any of the the stuff that made four and five uh, such okay. great that, great that opportunities for machinima. Yeah, yeah, I don't follow those games that closely, but yeah. Okay, so that that covers that. Um, but you know, I was also looking at. You know, the environments, um, which Tracy, you covered as well, donated by members of the community. And there was one where um, you look in the background and they've used the wall, create, you know, the wall placement um, tool to create buildings like skyscrapers. And obviously they're not really that far in the distance, but they've been textured, obviously, with custom um, imported textures to look like windows. So they look really small in the distance, but it's just that the way that they're framed. Uh, but you know, really, they're actually just behind. I think things right. like that are really clever, and you can only do something like in a game like The Sims, where you have the tools provided to build things, and then bring in your own um, content to decorate them. And again, that's another thing I admire: is sort of how you want to achieve an effect, so you think about how to do it, and then you if you do it, and then it it just looks great. And yeah, it does look dated, but the effect still works. Um, uh, you know, I, was, I always appreciate stuff like that with Machinima because, you know, with something like iClone, you can create that whole street in the background if you wanted to. Um, it's probably not really necessary, but you've got the option. But when you've got a, a game like The Sims, you can't create that. So you have to trick, figure out tricks to, to achieve the same effect. And in a lot of ways, that offers more creativity or forces you to be more creative in thinking about how to get around those limitations of the game that you've chosen. And, um, you know, this is, there are a lot of limitations of The Sims, which you discussed before, like characters acting silly and, um, you know, how hard it is to get them to exactly what you want. And he, he spent a lot of time working on this to get exactly the shots he wanted and bring in the mods. Obviously, the, there's the nudity, so he has to find a way to uh, remove the censored, you know, the, the pixelated um, filter that The Sims automatically puts over any character that undresses. Um, so, you know, to find a mod for that. Uh, you know, it shows a lot of time and effort went to this. So I am sad that they, we didn't get to see four, 
but I can also understand why he didn't do it and why uh, what a huge amount of time it would take to, to do it and why he never was able to find it, which is sad, but also I can appreciate that because he was working at um, EA. Uh, but yeah, these, these are excellent picks. And I actually hadn't seen the third one. I remember the first hmm. and second. So this is the first time I've seen the third one as well. So that was a nice little surprise. Uh, yeah, that, that's all i got to say. I'm just very impressed by uh, anyone who works yeah. around the limitations of a game and does something fantastic with it. Well, there's so many things I want to say about this, but I'll try to keep it short so we don't go on and on. Mm -hmm. um, the first thing I want to talk about is style. One of the things this film is, is a triumph of style. If he had shot it in Grand Theft Auto, it would not be the same film because it would be too realistic. That's true. He, his goal is not realism. His goal is a style that fits the story. And that's what makes it so effective. The idea of these sort of simple, cart almost cartoonish kind of characters, you know, him murdering this woman in cold blood at the, in the first episode with blood coming up for her would not be the same as if it was in Grand Theft Auto. It just wouldn't. And I think style is something that is often neglected in not only uh, a machinima, but in mainstream live action film as well because they're so they're trying so hard to be realistic you know and um i think the tradition that this film is part of which i don't think noir is the right call because the lighting noir uh, you have to have charoscuro lighting in order for noir to be effective and there isn't that there's a couple of times but it's that's not that it's a crime drama it's a hard-boiled crime drama. Now, what's interesting is that that type of film, that type of short film, that type of feature-length film has been going on since the 40s. And there have been everybody, I mean, filmmakers know that style. The fact that Todd Stahlkamp in Machinima, in a game called The Sims, managed to make an original contribution to crime drama is an extraordinary achievement. Yes. I mean, literally, it's extraordinary. To do something new in such a well-trod uh, genre is just amazing. And you're right, the writing is incredible. Uh, one point comes to mind. Part of what's great about crime drama, hard-boiled crime drama, is there's oftentimes the dialogue is suggested as opposed to literal meaning that what they say is not necessarily what you think it is. There's more to it. So the lead character, Ernest, is being beaten up in the third episode. And the uh, the character that I portrayed, the Greek uh, tycoon guy, is sort of gloating over it. And all Ernest Rent says to him is, fee fi fo Now, in a in a dozen, in three dozen, in twenty dozen films, they would say, "No, no, no. He's got to. He's got to. He's got to really say something more significant than that." No, no. Todd knew what he was trying to do. Yes. He knew who his character was, and that suggestion is so threatening and so right for hard boiled 
drama, I can't tell you. It's just fantastic. The writing is the big accomplishment in this. Um, I also think, and, and this is my last comments before I get too loquacious, that I think the films get better. The production values get better. And I think part of it is, is he, he, I think he gets better at making the film for each episode. And the reason why there's so much drama in so much uh, voice acting in the third one is because voiceover narration is kind of a simplification. It solves a lot of problems in telling a story because you have a narrator, a third person narrator who can just tell you he felt this way. They did this. They did that. Well, I think he finally got to be comfortable enough to be able to get into the real meat of the dialogue in the third version. That's why there's so much dialogue in it. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed doing the character. I think I remember, I think I remember Todd telling me to play it low key and he gave me permission to do some ad libs. So I did a few ad libs in it. And I think that's one reason why my performance is good is because it fits perfectly in with that low key style. He is a lead character has this sort of world weary attitude that is often found in private eye characters, but instead it's in the main sociopathic villain, which is another creative aspect to it. I think the series was so well made and so well shot that you could take this series, make it live action, use all of the shots that Todd made and put it on Amazon. Amazon Prime as a series, and it would play play like gangbusters. He's so skilled. He could segue, he could have segued into professional television production with this film if he had the right contacts. Obviously, the world gives you certain cards and you play them. The card that he was given was go to EA and work with them. That was a smart thing to do. But he, in another world, if he had had a contact, he could be doing pro television production right now. And if you're talking about a remake film, I'm wondering whether it might be interesting to do it in Unreal. Mm. Just, just a thought. Well, here's to you, Todd. Fantastic series. I love it. One of my all-time favorites. And thank you for choosing it, Phil. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it for our episode today. Um, I hope you liked it. It's, we sure did. Um, send us your comments at talk at completelymachinima.com and go to our website, completelymachinima.com for the show notes. I believe there's we're going to be doing an interview with Todd, right, Tracy? Yeah, yeah that's yeah. correct. Yep, so that's coming up shortly. Thank you all for watching. Thanks, Damien, Phil, Tracy, for your comments. And thank you, Todd Stahlkamp. For creating such a wonderful series. We'll yes. see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye.